Our scripture today is found in John 13, verses 1 through 20. You can follow along in your pew Bible in pages 101 and 102, or just follow along on the screen. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas' son of Simon, Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely, he is entirely clean, and you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, he put on his robe and returned to the table. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash another's feet. For I have set an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but it is to fulfill the scripture. The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I tell you this now before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Very truly I tell you, whoever receives one who I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How do you turn a bunch of individuals into a group that can change the world? How do you turn a bunch of individuals into a group that can change the world? A few weeks, uh, years ago, I walked into a conference room with a bunch of colleagues and the bishop said to us, before we get started with our agenda today, we're going to do a little exercise. And he called forward a colleague uh, to lead us. And she said, count off by fives. So one, two, three, four. We went around the room. Then we moved into groups, five separate groups in different areas of the room, pulling our chairs into little circles, staring at our hands or at the floor, making small talk, looking around nervously, wondering what was about to happen. 
The leader walked around the room and placed a box in the middle of each small group. And I looked down and saw that it was a box of Legos. It had on the front of it a picture of a Lego helicopter. Not the most complicated Lego set by any means, but not the easiest either. The leader said to us, the Lego set has all the pieces inside, but we have removed the instructions. <laughs> Start building. Now, some people like you in the room groaned, but I was pumped. I felt like I had been training for this my entire life. My brother and I were obsessed with Legos as kids. They were our number one toy for the majority of our childhood. So I opened the box and I spread the pieces out on the chair for our group. And it, it went about how these sorts of things go. You've done things like them, I expect. Various ideas got tossed around, people agreed, people disagreed. We tried stuff that worked, we tried other stuff that didn't work. We put things together, we took them apart. Eventually, we wound up with a helicopter that closely resembled the one on the box with just a few pieces left over on the chair. We were team building, you understand. We were having an experience together that would bond us and help us build trust when stuff got hard so that when stuff got hard later in the meeting, we would have a platform of a relationship already built. And I suspect that most of us have done team building exercises like that one once or twice or a few hundred times in our lives. And sometimes they really seem to work. Sometimes they, they don't work at all, but sometimes they work unbelievably well and they set the stage for a group of people to become unstoppable together. Now, I know that team building is not supposed to be a competition, but my small group finished our helicopter first. <laughs> yes, we did. We were done and some groups were still just staring at their pieces, trying to decide what to do. So I just wanna say, Ken and Liz, all the Lego investment you made paid off. All right, good job. Well, I tell you this this morning because I want you to have this idea of team building in your mind as you think about the scripture for today. Yeah, I'm gonna suggest that what Jesus was up to in the upper room in John chapter 13 was one big and incredibly important team building exercise. Now, I don't say that to trivialize the moment, not at all. In fact, this is probably the most successful team building exercise that has ever occurred. We're spending the season of Lent here talking about meeting Jesus, looking at stories together in the scripture where someone encounters Jesus face to face. We're reflecting on how that encounter changes them and reflecting on how encounters with Jesus change us. We've talked about Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the woman who was caught in adultery. And last week, Pastor Balarmi talked with us about Mary anointing Jesus' feet with oil and then wiping them with her hair. Now, that story happens in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John, and it becomes a bit of foreshadowing to the story that we have today that happens in the 13th chapter. Unlike some of the other stories we've considered, Jesus is not having an encounter with strangers in this story today. Quite the opposite. The people who Jesus meets in this story have been around him a lot, a lot, a lot. These are the people that are closest to him on the whole earth. They're his disciples. And the chronology in the Gospel of John leads us to believe that they have been with Jesus for almost three years by this point. Three years, day in, day out, traveling together, teaching together, witnessing miracles. But on this night, 
they encounter a side of Jesus that they have never seen before. You know, in this story, it's the kneeling that always gets me. I'm not completely sure why this is, but every time I read this story from the Gospel of John, it's the kneeling of Jesus that just catches me short. You know, I find it much easier to imagine Jesus presiding over the table, standing there in front of his disciples like he does in Matthew and Mark and Luke, taking the bread, blessing it, breaking it, feeding them. Jesus is the bread of life. He satisfies our hungers. He's the gracious host, the provider at the head of the table. We're going to celebrate all that when we celebrate Holy Communion in just a moment. I can even handle better picturing Jesus after the meal in the courtyard, there in anguished prayer, or in front of Pilate and the crowds who were yelling at him to be crucified. I imagine him there with his head held high. I can even... Honestly, picture him more easily on the cross, enduring that pain and and waiting as slowly death approaches. It's the kneeling in today's story. It's the kneeling in front of his disciples. That's the thing that's hard for me to swallow. He was down there, of course, kneeling in front of them to wash their feet. Which, of course, is not an unusual thing to do. They probably needed it. Their feet were very likely dirty from walking all over the place in sandals. It, it was completely normal, regular hospitality in the ancient Near East to offer water for guests to wash their own feet or to have a servant do it before the meal. But, you know, that would have happened off to the side, like in quiet, in private, as people entered the room. Not like this. Not how Jesus chose to do it. Not, not in the middle of the room. Not in the middle of the meal. And of course, this wasn't just any meal. It was their last meal together after three years. We don't really know if the disciples knew it was their last meal together, but Jesus knew. He knew. And so this foot washing, it, it's not just a matter of good manners. It's, it's a gift that he gives to them. It's an act of love that he offers an act of love in line with all the other acts of love that he was preparing to do that night and the next day. So I, I imagine the room, you know, it was probably somber and quiet already, but I imagine that it became absolutely still when Jesus stood up from the table, took off his outer robe, tied a towel around his waist, and picked up that basin of water. Twelve pairs of eyes must have followed him as he walked to face that first disciple and then dropped down to his knees and gently picked up the man's foot. I imagine wordlessly he worked his holy hands, holding first one foot and then the other as he washed and dried and set them back down on the floor. And then Jesus moved on to the next man, that first disciple left just sitting there wondering what had happened. The other 10 waiting, squirming, figuring out their turn was unavoidable, that, that soon the teacher was going to kneel in front of them too. God bless Simon Peter. He mirrors my own great discomfort at this scene when he says to Jesus, you are never going to wash my feet. The scandal of the master kneeling in front of the student, it's, it's too much for him to take. But Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus says, accept my service. Accept this gift. Accept this humility from me. 
I don't blame Peter for misunderstanding. Because the intimacy, the vulnerability of Jesus kneeling there, touching his feet, it would have made it hard to think straight. That's what makes the scene so hard for me to take, that intimacy, that vulnerability. And, And I think for Jesus, that is exactly the point. Kneeling in front of the disciples, that was a way to reveal their intimate connection, their deep relationship. Their relationship that starts not with demands from him to them, but rather by a gift. Their relationship starts with a gift. With Jesus offering everything that he has, everything that they need. Any pride, any status, any standing that Jesus has, he sets that aside so he can kneel in that position of humility and service and give to them what they need. He even washed Judas's feet, you know? If you thought Peter was uncomfortable with Jesus kneeling in front of him, imagine Judas. Oh. The scripture says his own heart was already vile with the terrible deed he was about to do. But Jesus, Jesus kneels in front of him too and picks up Judas's feet and, and washes them with that same care. He gives that same gift to the one who's going to betray him. Offering everything he has, that's, that's what Jesus does. He does it in Matthew and Mark and Luke too when he takes that bread and he blesses and he breaks and he gives to them and he says, this is my body. And he takes the cup and he blesses and he gives it to them and he said, this is my blood. He, he does the same thing. He does the same thing when he lays on the cross and it gets hoisted up to the sky. In all these acts, he offers himself to them. He offers himself to us. Which leads me to wonder, if I have such a hard time imagining Jesus kneeling in front of me, if I, like Peter, would have wanted to flee the room or or grab the towel and basin from Jesus and wash his feet instead, does it mean that, that I struggle to accept the gift that Jesus has to give me? Yeah, that's what it means. <laughs> and of course I do. We all do. To think that God, the glorious and and holy God, is offering everything that we need and giving it to us without price, it can be too much to believe. It can be hard to swallow, overwhelming to accept. To think that God, that God kneels down in front of us and offers the love we need when we've done nothing to to earn it or deserve it. I want to point out in this moment that the scene with Jesus reminds us that life with him is an intimate affair. You know, there's, there's no one on the sidelines in this story. There's no one who's just sort of standing off on the side as an interested observer, uh, watching but, but not participating. Jesus doesn't want us to learn from him from afar. He wants us to receive him in the most intimate spaces, in the deepest of ways. He wants us to receive the vulnerable gift that he is offering, as if he were kneeling before us, washing our feet. That is what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be one of Jesus' own. So this story, it's about us. It's about us as individuals and what Jesus does for us. But it's also about more than that. Jesus didn't come to the disciples as individuals and wash their feet. He didn't, he didn't do it privately. He didn't do it one-on-one. He did it when they were in a group. 
He did it so they could all watch and participate together. He did it for them as a team. And that's because when he got done, he got up, he put his robe back on, and then he asked them to do for one another what he had just done for them. That same love, that same humility, that same service. He wanted them to do it for each other after he was gone. It was both a sign of his generous love and a call to action for them to love one another with more grace than they had ever even imagined to give. And they were going to need that, that grace, that unity, that togetherness to survive what was to come. So Jesus calls them for togetherness and teamwork. And that, that stands, that same call stands for us today, right? His encounter with them is like his encounter with us. He's, of course, not here to physically wash our feet, but his words for them are words for us. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their masters, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. My challenge to you this week is a twofold as we move ever closer to Holy Week, take some time in prayer or reflection to think about this foot washing soon. When you're out taking a walk, when you're doing chores around the house, when you're driving somewhere, just take a moment to reflect on this foot washing scene. You might read it again. Don't read it again if you're driving. That's a bad idea, but read it again. Soak in the images. Imagine yourself there receiving this act of service from Jesus. And pray about what God is offering you in love and service and be grateful. And then this week, right this week, find some way to offer some kind of service to somebody else on the team. The team, the team is big. Find a way to offer some service to somebody else on the team. Take Jesus' team building and extend it right here in our day and our time by finding a way to serve someone else. If it is an unexpected service, all the better. If it's someone that you don't normally help, all the better. Do so in the name of our Lord. And thank you for all thank him for all that he has given us. Amen.